Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 175. My name is Tom Horrocks, and today we are privileged to have with us for a fireside chat, Richard Reddy, aka Spanners from Missed Apex Podcast. Welcome to Fireside Spanners. Ooh, a privilege, is it, Tom? How, how very fancy. I feel uh, honoured. Thanks for the invite. No problem. It's our pleasure. So those of you who are new to Grid Talk, please make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube and click the bell so you know when we've gone live. And don't forget to give us a thumbs up. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, as that really helps us out as well. But back to our guest today. Uh, Spanners, you obviously run the Missed Apex podcast. Anyone who listens to any F1 podcast surely would know that, as it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely the uh, the piece de resistance of, uh, of uh, Formula One podcasts in my of, mind. Of independent ones. Of independent. Maybe, yeah, I'm quite proud of the company that we're in. You know, uh, we, we tend to sort of be in the top 100 of UK sports on iTunes, and you look around and it's like really big organizations like WTF1 and uh, and obviously Checker Flag are right there at the top. Um, but to be in and around that area, I think it's only like us and um, and maybe for F1's sake in there. So it does feel like we're in a funny position. And you said saying there, oh, anyone who does F1 podcasts might have heard of you guys. You're sat in a shed making shows. You've got no idea how well known you are, uh, you know, out and about. But, you know, we, we do get some nice feedback. And I posted recently that I think we've got to the position where people will reply to our emails, like people in and around F1. The reply is is still no, but at least we're getting a reply more and more. Mm. So I think I think like we're at a position where people are like they might have heard of us enough to go. I, I best reply to them, but um, but no thanks. Well, that's that's definitely the, the point where we all want to get to. So we we can be rejected by uh, by the yeah, Formula yeah, One exactly. top brass. Yeah. So I'd love to know, like as a fan of Miss Fairfax myself, I'd love to know where it all kind of started for for you and the, the where the love from F one came from, and and if you can remember, what was the, the first time you remember? You know, that is Formula One. Oh, Nigel Mansell. I don't want to tell tales on age. How old are Same. you, Tom? Well, my earliest motorsport memory is Nigel Mansell, so yeah. you're all right. <laughs> he, he was um, he was definitely the first one. I, I remember my dad. It, like a lot of us, you know, we sit down and we watch sports with with dad. And my dad was obsessed with uh, with sports and reading. I'm not what one one for reading really. So to spend time with my dad, it was sit down and watch sports. And the choice was rugby league. Awful, awful game. Mm-hmm. Pointless. No one knows the rules. Not even the referee. I used to. I used to when. Um, DVRs or whatever came out, the the whistle would go and I'd pause it and I'd go, right, tell me what's happening. You've been watching this game 20, 30 years. Tell me what the decision's going to be. He never had a clue. No one does. It's made up. The other one he was obsessed with was Superbikes and MotoGP. And, and I never got to grips with those. Yeah, of course, it's um, really amazing what those guys do. They lean over. They don't fall down. So there's a little bit of magic and lack of physics involved definitely, there. They, definitely they magic. Should, they should fall down. And that's what I'm saying. Um, but I never really enjoyed the racing of MotoGP. It felt like they were kind of ghosting past each other a little bit. But sitting down and watching a Grand Prix where, and, and back in those days, you know, people complain about lack of overtaking. Now, my goodness, in those days, you know, it really was occasionally lap one was the only lap where anything would happen. You know, with Formula One, even you were waiting for something to happen. And, and genuinely, sometimes lap one was the only time that anything happened. And so you would settle in and you would really get into the strategy of it. Watch like a hawk, that one little timing bar that you used to have at, at the bottom and, and try and, you know, try and work out over two hours what was going to happen. And I found that much more of an event than the kind of the quick smash and grab entertainment of Superbikes and MotoGP, and and just to sit down and absorb Formula One and and bathe in it, like nothing had to happen really, particularly 
for and that to be enjoyable. Didn't. And it often <laughs> didn't. You know, and nothing has happened for the whole race. And, you know, sometimes you, you're sitting there and you're going, well, is an engine going to blow? Oh, the, the Ferrari engine did blow, of course, you know, on tracks like the old uh, Hockenheim, where they used mm. to disappear in the forest and they'd be at full pelt. And occasionally, you know, the engines would just completely give up with those old telltale big plumes of smoke mm. that you used to get from the engine failures. And so, yeah, for me, Formula One was more of a, you know, it's a place to go to than any particular event. I don't think I've, I've really missed a race since like 1986 because it's just such a, a part of my calendar. So with modern F1, when people are complaining about lack of overtaking, I mean, for me, in the 2000s, early 2000s, we had loads of great racing, loads of good battles. But even 2017, 2018, where the Ferraris were, were up there a little bit, there was good racing up and down the grid. 2013, uh, I, know, I know Red Bull and Vettel dominated, but all down that grid with Hamilton and his McLaren scrapping with Hulkenberg every other race, you know, there was really good racing. So for me, modern racing has gotten better and better. And then it's mad to see the kids coming up, like complaining about Paul Ricard. I don't know if you remember, there was one organization yeah. just kicked off because there was one boring race at Paul Ricard. It was like, F1's dead. Oh, my goodness. There was one race where nothing much happened. And I was like, oh, it was still kind of, it was still F1. And the thing is, we're in a minority now, us old sweats that remember those days with the Americans taking over, you know, really, and, and obviously what, what that happened last season. Like, definitely there is an impatience to deliver that showdown event every single race. It's got to be 23 Super Bowls a year. That's what Liberty Media said. I was like, no, no, it's got to be rubbish for ages. And then when it is really good, you get to really enjoy it. But I appreciate that, you know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur like that. Well, it's just a lot like, uh, you know, you see that a lot in football as well, don't you? You, you don't have, you have a yeah. lot of nil-nils and one-nils. And you know, I remember uh, my local club going to a game and uh, and it was the most entertaining nil-nil draw I ever saw in my life. And then there were two goals in injury time to finish one all. So yeah. it was, you know, it's kind of... But, you, but I, I want to see the game played well, the sport yeah. sported well. And sometimes if you sports as well as you can, that's not always interesting every single time like if you just go about and set about your task because you've got to get a nil-nil against Leighton Orient uh, to, to stay in league division two sometimes you've got to park the bus and that's how you play the game as long as you haven't got a game that's fundamentally garbage and nothing's ever going to happen like rugby league then you're all right but if you've got if you've got an organic space where things can happen you have to accept that sometimes nothing's going to happen that's, that's part of it. Sometimes it's going to be spectacular. Sometimes nothing's going to happen. If you fix it so it's spectacular every time, it's special none of the time. And, and um, apologies to those clouds I've been yelling at for the last five minutes. <laughs> no, I, I, you're echoing a, pretty mm. much everything that I say as well. You can tell we're similar ages in that sense. I will caveat, I think I'm probably just a couple of years younger than yourself. So, uh, Ooh, okay, I, 41, I 41. So. Let's put, oh, Wow, yeah, 40. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, well, I'm insulted. But anyway, yeah. carry on. <laughs> okay, so what would you say then would be... You say you look back at the previous years of Formula One and, and how, you know, how you got into it when it wasn't so exciting. Yeah. What, do you prefer it when it is now or do you prefer nah. it in the past or the, what's the, your favourite era? The, there's obviously a balance to that, isn't there? And um, I... Yeah, so, so the era that I probably have most memories of is actually the Damon Hill era, era. And looking back, maybe Damon Hill wasn't the superstar that I was emotionally invested that he was in the mid-90s. And mm -hmm. and then you, you get your hero. You know, he was absolutely robbed uh, by 
the cheating of Michael Schumacher. I'm happy to say that. You can say allegedly if you want. Um, and then fine. W- watching him pick <laughs> up that title and then the heroic kind of struggles at Arrows and because and, you get your hero, but then the reality was actually he wasn't that wanted at Williams. He wasn't really a top, top tier driver of that generation. So he's probably doing well to get a big money deal, I assume, at Arrows. And then, but, but then at Arrows, he got that second place, didn't he, at Hungary? And I remember watching that that race and um, and that being quite glorious. And yeah, so that was probably my my biggest first fandom was Damon Hill, which is yeah. Looking back, I would go now. Nah, that's not what I would pick now. But yeah, so it went kind of uh, Schumacher, not Schumacher. Beg your pardon, anyone but Schumacher. Yeah, Mansell. How could- Mansell, uh, then in that kind of Senna era, of course, Senna was majestic, glory hunting with Damon Hill. But that's not the best racing really i think if you look at the early 2000s with hackenen and coulthard a lot of that was a good balance between excitement on track and um and it not being kind of for the show that felt fairly pure the early 2000s was great and and um and and if it wasn't for the mercedes domination there's been i think good racing in recent years like i said 2017 2018 was pretty good what i don't like is last season because I really, really feel that that racing and and because I'm a Hamilton fan, this is going to come across as me just being sore. But I was saying this mid-season as well. I didn't think it was good racing. Like if you look at uh, Hamilton versus Perez uh, at one of the tracks, they were going wheel to wheel, multiple corner racing. It was great every time. Verstappen and Hamilton came close on track together and I'm not saying whose fault is what or anything, but every time they came on track together, it was a collision or they left the track. And and it wasn't penalised because I, I believe the reason it wasn't penalised was not some grand conspiracy against Lewis Hamilton. It's because they needed to keep the entertainment going. If they'd have penalised Max Verstappen for everything they should have penalised him for, and yes, yes, I know, Netherlands, 50G, Silverstone, 50G in the hospital, yeah, 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 that one thing. Okay, if he was penalised for everything he should have been, the, the title wasn't going down to, wasn't going down to Abu Dhabi. The break check... Uh, in Saudi was absolutely ridiculous. But, but they couldn't penalise it because Hamilton was dominant for those last four races. If you'd penalise Verstappen, then you ruin your showdown. And so the actual rules and the way they were enforced all throughout the season had the show and the, and the finale and keeping the season ticking over in mind. So this kind of tipped over too far. But yeah, to answer the question, if anyone can remember it, I think the, <laughs> the, the sweet spot of the racing there was probably, I know, 2003, we've had a good decade and a half after that of really good racing, amazing machines, top class drivers, because the driver standards there were much, much better than 80s, 90s driver standards. If they they weren't, then there's something wrong and the sport's been standing still. And, And even with driver standards, I feel like we peaked a few years back and now we're kind of getting bogged down in billionaires going up the grid and sun. so it's going to be billionaires and children of F1 drivers so yeah so that's it I think we've we've, we've had a peak and I think we're just in danger of, of going into a dip at the moment Excellent. Yeah, I, I have to admit as well, I, I did credit you, but I did use one of your uh, one of your comments from an episode a couple of days ago, uh, which was about pay drivers and the difference between yeah, someone yeah, yeah, who's, yeah, yeah. who's paid to be there and, and because of who they are and not what they can do. And uh, yeah. I think that's that's a really 
that that really resonates with me as a really really good way of describing it. Yeah, because there's always the argument they go, oh well, everyone's a pay driver. Even Lewis Hamilton had backing, as if to try and like it's the people are so smug when they make that argument mm. to like oh, everyone's a pay driver. Really, no, no, no. There is a difference between someone going we've got some money to fund a fast driver like Carlos Slim had some money. Ron Dennis had some money. We need to find a driver. All oh, that kid from Stevenage is good. All oh, that Perez is good. He'll make a good Mexican driver and then funding it. There's a difference between that and being deigned from birth like a, a Rosberg or a Schumacher to be a Formula One driver or a Stroll just to have that money because of who you are. Papa Stroll wasn't looking for someone to fund it was always going to be for Lance Stroll and so yes there was a clear difference between a pay driver and a driver with backing and people when people do that uh, this everyone's pay driver actually I just want to I want to scream Tom I want to scream <laughs> <laughs> yeah just to caveat that slightly as well I actually got in trouble once for saying that Lance Stroll is better than James Hunt because uh, from what you were saying before he is because otherwise I don't, still... I don't, I don't think that's a terrible argument the standard of driver now is so much higher than it was in the 70s. People get really angry. Okay, so I got asked on an, another um, on another show yesterday or Monday, who's the greatest driver of all time? And, and, and I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's definitely Lewis Hamilton because he's the best driver statistically of this era, right? Even if you want to say Verstappen's better now, if you look at the last 10, 11 years, Hamilton is without a doubt the best driver of that period. And this period, the driver standards are like way higher than Schumacher's time. So you're old enough to, to remember basically Schumacher coming in and just beating a load of bums in F1. Yeah. People are going to get upset about this. But he was he took this kind of physical fitness, this kind of total ruthless approach to Formula One, whilst other people had uh, you know, a cigarette in each ear and, and chugging a beer. And if you look back at photos of the grid, like in the 60s compared to the grid now, which which ones would you would you send to war, or would you know, which ones would you want to play five aside on your team? It's going to be you know the modern drivers. The standard now is so much better. So of course you can say pound for pound was Fangio better, uh, was Senna better pound for pound. But you know, I'll probably go further. Lance Stroll's oh, here we go. Lance Stroll's probably better than Ayrton Senna. But pound for pound, Senna was a great in his time. But there was um there was a quote with Ayrton Senna going around Monaco where he's like and he had such a, a way with words and phrases and he's talking about I went out there and every single lap I, I felt more and more at one with the car and I could get closer to the balls and the, and I just took it to places it couldn't go and you know st started achieving the impossible so no you just took a long time to get up to the the ultimate pace whereas nowadays modern drivers would be expected to go out on a Friday and it's seen as a a great trait of a great driver now to just get up to pace quickly. So that shows you that probably in those days there was just a little bit more margin. There was a little bit more fat and they didn't have the advantage of uh, really early karting junior careers, very competitive junior careers, nutrition, a competitive junior field to have to come through. So obviously the greats from that era aren't going to match up actually kind of if you took them now and plonked them in a neutral race series of course modern drivers are going to be better but people get very upset don't they they like really mm. like oh jim clark's definitely better than lewis hamilton you go come no anyway emails <laughs> yes. to tom yeah <laughs> <Let's> talk <laughs> 
Uh, sort of back to the the original. Uh, what I was leading on to with this is about Miss Apex as well. It's, it's oh, great yeah. just to go off on all these on all these tangents and everything. Yeah, just yeah, talking yeah. about Fallout because it's great to, great to hear your opinions on it, especially <laughs> as they resonate very strongly with me as well. So it's, this this great finally vindication from me from someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yes. But so what was it that actually made you start Miss Apex and and where on earth did you dig up Matt from? Oh, Matt, two rumpets. So those who don't know, Matt is an American who I picked. He's um, He lives in Brooklyn. He's a, a trumpet player and a, and a good one. You hear people, you know, we call him Matt Trumpets. Yeah, I play the trumpet. And then he came over to visit. And it was six years of podcasting before I actually met him. And he came over, he sat with my family on the South Bank in London. And he gets the trumpet out. And he just starts absolutely in, the, in a cafe. Like, how, how un-British is that? In a cafe, he starts belting out this trumpet. And I'm like, oh, oh, like you can play trumpet. My goodness. <laughs> and, uh, and then later at the karting event, because my wife is also a, 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 a jazz singer, pianist as well. So we had this, like, after a karting event, a proper, like, gig with Matt on trumpets, wife on piano and singing and and. And it was just it's incredible. So he's an amaz- amazingly talented uh, guy, um, and he does a lot of blogging and stuff. But yeah, so basically we were doing a podcast for for another organisation, and Matt was a blogger there. And and I I said um, I said right, just give me all your writers, and I'll pick a few of them at a time, and we'll try and make a, a podcast work and i'll just rotate around the writers but every time i just realized matt had this ability to be to bounce back and forth he understood the kind of improvisational nature of 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 podcasting and journalists i think do make great podcasters because you know they have this the drumbeat of knowledge in their heads like a core knowledge of current events so that's where i picked up that american and it's good because having an american makes it sound like you're off the telly doesn't it that's why Mm. whenever he's talking i'm like oh it sounds like telly this this is great it's like an american from the movies uh but you were saying what made me do it in the first place was that the was that the question oh man i wanted to be in radio when i was a kid Mm. and Back in the olden days, so back in the nineties, if you, I think, if you didn't know anyone, if you, if you didn't have a contact into a radio station, I don't think you'd had any chance. So I went to student radio, and it was a pretty tight bunch. And I did an audition, and they went, "No, you're rubbish." I went, "Oh, okay." And so I, I did. I took my tape, and I like knocked on like all the local radio stations. I was like, "Yeah, I've got my tape. Uh, I'd like to do presenting and stuff. Do you want to listen to my tape?" Oh yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely listen to your tape. And and you know, and that's it. There's no other options. Um, so I went off and did did what I did and went on adventures. And then at some point, at 20, uh, 2010, 9, 10, something like that, you know, discover podcast. And you, I went, oh, my goodness, I don't need anyone's permission to make this and I can just put it on the internet. And so at that time, I think it was, it was a lot smaller podcasting. I do remember doing a year of podcasting with about 23 downloads per show. And I'm sure they were all bots. But... That was just enough to make me go, there's someone out there, there's someone out there (laughs) listening. So I did podcasting about parenting, uh, about marriage, and then eventually in 2014 started uh, doing one about Formula One. Fantastic. And it's just the uh, the dream began there. And then so from from those early moments of, of podcasting with your 23 listens, before you know it, <laughs> I'm listening to my Checker Flag podcast and all of a sudden I hear your voice on there. The actual <laughs> BBC one, isn't it? The actual BBC. So the BBC one. Yeah, I got this phone call out of the blue and they just were... Uh, we've had Jack Nichols on Mr. Apex podcast a few times. He's been on uh, to our karting events and stuff. And um, I've had him on local radio as well i've invited him as my expert guest on local radio too and so so i went a bit of an in there and they had 
not got Jolie and Palmer for for one of the shows. So very, very honoured. They call me up and slot me in as, you know, imagine little me being the expert to Jolie and Palmer. Because I'm not an expert and I'm not a journalist. My job is to be the useful idiot to ask useful enough questions so they're putting me into the expert role oh my goodness julian julian palmer expert role okay so i'm excited i go and do it i'm so nervous i've got to the point where my, my mouth just fully dried up before waiting for the zoom call to be answered and i am now a professional broadcaster i'm a professional radio presenter mr apex is a couple of days work for me we make money from mr apex yet my mouth went dry and i felt like i could not speak because this is the mothership this is absolutely has been the top f1 podcast for years and years and years probably only overtaken by beyond the grid but i think it's probably still you know one of the very highest mm. so i get on that zoom call and uh, and then we're prepping and then jolie and palmer can make it after all so he pops up and they go well please you're here please hang around you know we've invited you please stay jolie and palmer it looks bewildered at who this random idiot is. I've never heard of me, doesn't know who I am. And he's just kind of like, just, you know, he's on holiday, he's having a good time, but he's popped in just to, to go to make, to, to fulfill his commitment. He's like, all right, who's this? And I could just, I could see not, not a contempt, but just something, something doesn't belong here. <laughs> and so how, I mean, it's, so it just completely came out of the blue because of your mutual friendship with Jack Nichols. But I mean, how did that even... I'll, I'd like to call it a friendship. Okay. Jack Nichols will probably say he spans as someone I'm aware of. Uh, but yeah, they obviously thought I could do a job, which was great. And I had fun. But within minutes, I got into an argument with Andrew Benson, the BBC <laughs> chief F1 correspondent. Uh, then I got into a, a disagreement with Jack, which is fine because we've debated before. But then I got into a disagreement with... Jolian Palmer, and he seemed genuinely offended. Like he really thought that I was talking. I could see his face. He really was like, "Who's this idiot?" Because I said, "Perhaps we're getting carried away a little bit with Lando Norris, with the Lando Norris hype." I said he's mm. been flattered by Daniel Ricciardo struggling in a season where all the drivers who've switched cars are struggling a little bit. So that's the perfect case scenario. A named driver who is struggling, but we know where those struggles are coming from. All the drivers except signs was struggling to get up to speed. And then when he got the opportunity for that race win, I can't remember where it was, in the rain. Do you remember where it was? But yes. Turkey, Turkey. So, so was it Sochi? But for Norris was his yeah, 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 yeah. Where he was yeah. leading and he yeah. and then he made the wrong call to stay yeah. out on the wets. And then he, but then he screamed at his team. And I said, that kind of shows that like, he's probably not quite the finished article yet and we don't shouldn't get carried away. And then, and Charlie and Palmer got very, very upset with me and, listed several for several reasons why i was wrong and then did that kind of name me one time when blah and i was like i, I can't i can't i can't name a single time that blah and uh and so he sort of totally won the debate i guess and then i went away going oh everyone yelled at me on the <laughs> do, you know, do you know who was lovely do you know who's absolutely lovely are they all i'm sure they all are lovely but um yeah. jenny gal uh was just incredibly nice welcoming on the call follow-up messages, you know, did you enjoy that, all that kind of stuff. So it was a, a bizarre experience. I did not belong there, but I was happy to fill in and do a job, even though they didn't need me in the end. So it was all very weird and all very nice. I was going to say, so when's your next appearance? But I'm assuming based on that, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm here. If uh, my, my phone's always on. I've been desperately waiting the entire time. I feel like, you know, you get a shot like that and uh, and you just enjoy it. Just That's the thing is you've got to remember to enjoy these things because you don't know when they're, they're going to come along. But really, I didn't belong there. The only way you'd have someone like me on there would be as a 
uh, a host, you know, because that's my, my job is I'm a, a host and a presenter. But, but to have me in there as a subject matter expert and go, right, argue with ex-Formula One driver, Jolian Palmer, the actual BBC F1 commentator, Jack Nichols, and also the chief correspondent, uh, uh, Be- uh, Andrew Benson. Go, have fun. That was a bit rough. <laughs> So I was going to ask you uh, a couple of things about your podcasting history, about what has probably been your your favourite moment in podcasting history. And I was also going to ask about what would be like your least favourite moment, but I'm considering maybe that might be. <laughs> no, no, no. They were great. They were great. Um, I, t- I tell you what, the, there's, the, the, there's so much variety with Miss Apex with our, our, our panel that it's the, it's the learning and it's the, to me, it's, you know, when you're like karting or on a sim track and you're just eating away at your lap time trying to get that corner closer hit the clock apex more get on the power earlier i feel like that with the art of podcasting and programming every every show i want to present better i want to get the sound slightly better in between shows every year we want to have better graphics better guests gamify the or you know growing the audience and stuff like that so for me that's that's the best bit about podcasting it's just a ridiculous challenge i should never have taken on 12 years ago it was a very bad idea <laughs> well it certainly uh certainly seems to be seems to be working out for you anyway yeah well, should we talk about a little bit about formula one as well uh as we're uh tra- cars are literally on track as we yeah. speak uh um heads up to the audience we are recording this on the 10th of march so we are going to be airing it next week just before the uh the, the start of the uh the new season so as we stand we have we've a few hours ago we saw the uh the very radical new mercedes and their side pod design so what's what's i know you're not a tech expert but what's your initial thoughts you? on, on, <laughs> on what okay so seen? so you're right i'm not an f1 tech expert but i do i do actually have a background in engineering i was a electronics tech and then i worked in the design phase uh, in defense so in in weapons design um the, the clever people who went to university would design electronics and they would then put them in a missile or a launch or something. And I would explain to them the various ways in which that would be abused and not work in the real world. So, you know, I'd say, look, see that platform that you've got there and, and that's delicate and it's not supporting any way. Guarantee your squad is going to use that to stand on and reach that thing and it will disappear. That thing will cook and overheat because you've not considered the thermal uh, mapping. Uh, that The battery will run out well before. How are you going to replace that? When that bit breaks, because I know that bit breaks all the time, how are you going to get to it? So that was my, my job is supportability. So I do have a little bit of an engineering uh, background with stuff like this. So what always bugs me as a, a Mercedes fan looking in from the outside is they always seem to have a, a an allergy to cooling. They never want to give, they always run the cooling very, very close. And they've had times in tracks like Singapore where you've seen them just with bolt cutters, like just having to hack bits out of the bodywork just to get the heat out of there. And this is actually very typical of, of these kind of engineers. So defense and F1 share a lot of engineers. So, you know, I, I'm very familiar with this kind of person. And whenever you talk to them about cooling, they just, they don't want to know. They don't want to consider consider that. They always want to look at performance. So with the Mercedes side pod, the side pod is basically where they house the radiators. The, the heat from everywhere else in the car is going to the side pod, blow air through that, and I, I hope I'm not oversimplifying it, blow through air through that, and then th- that, you know, that, that allows it to draw more heat out. So with uh, Mercedes, they, they've said there's no side pod. It's not quite true from what I can see. Mm. It looks like they've got a very squashed side pod, and they had an open panel, and you could still see it was jam-packed with, with the, the radiator fins, whereas if you, they, they opened a hatch on the... Aston Martin, and in the side pod, you could see a lot of space. 
there was a lot of space. There was radiators and there was a lot of space up front. So for them, you know, the, the pod was serving an aerodynamic function. Whereas for the Mercedes, they're like, no, we don't want it to serve. We want it to just be as small as possible and just absolutely pack it in. But I, I bet with that philosophy, there will be cooling compromises somewhere down the road. There we go. Is that boring enough? Was that end techy enough for you, Tom? <laughs> it's good. It's good. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, I noticed earlier they were actually taping up part of the louvers on the back, which which tells me that maybe they're, you know, they're trying to run it as hot as possible to, to, to maybe see. kind yeah. of see if this does happen later on. But if this is turns out to be the, uh, the double diffuser type thing that, you know, that we feared might happen, what do you think Formula One will do about that? Can you see them as just saying, no, you can't run that or do you see this playing out for a year or so this is interesting uh, ross Braun made a comment in the off season where they said if we someone finds a loophole we, we think we've identified the loophole if we find a loophole we have things in place that will allow us to move quicker to close it basically and to to bring that back and if they if they're talking within a season i can i can see that i can see that 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 can be okay like they did with das the dust system, and they said, okay, well done. You did find the loophole, but by the end of the season, we want it to go. I think that's okay. If they start nerfing things that are legal and just saying, right, you, you just can't use that anymore because it's too good, then that defeats the whole point of the sport, doesn't it? If someone does their blown diffuser, if they just said to Braun in 2008, oh, that Braun did that double diffuser, well done, uh, but <laughs> that's giving you a massive advantage, no kill it it's not in the spirit or whatever it maybe there could be a rule where they have to show their homework so okay you've well done you've got to start you've got to jump on the field but now you have to tell everyone how you did it so maybe that could be an advantage but i think it is right to an extent that we don't have another mercedes turbo hybrid three-year domination so if you have like 2014 2015 2016 there's something wrong how you've either describe the regulations or there's something wrong with your structuring. So there's probably both. There was probably regulations big enough to drive a hole through in the hybrid era because it was all new. Plus you had Mercedes in there with limitless resources and they threw an unprecedented amount of staff at it. And they ran it like an engineering firm, like engineering department. And, and, and you can do this with big departments where you set a requirement. Someone goes, I would like this much less uh, weight or this much less movement your department, you work out, you work on that. Tell me when you've got an answer, you know, and it's not one guy sketching at a thing, trying to make it better. And this is what you can do with people power is you can just set little requirements and have teams. And, and this is probably the key. You can have teams afford to fail doing it as well. So you can have five teams working on a thing and only one of them comes up with the solution. So clearly that situation is wrong. So we've got to try it. So that's, you've got the cost cap and then hopefully tighter regulations being overseen. And I think I like what the FIA are doing here, which is they are, involved with the team you know it doesn't just come out of the box finished they're involved they can ask questions they can say what are you doing there so it's not a surprise to to them when it comes out so there's a balance to be struck yeah if they nerfed any good idea what's the point just make it a spec series if you you but you can't repeat 2014 2015 2016 
Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think for me, as long as it's, I mean, the purpose of these regulations is to stop the aero wake from interfering with the cars behind. And so long as it doesn't interfere them, with yeah. the aero wake, then for me, it's, you know, it's it's all fine. It's congratulations. You know, <laughs> like you say, show everyone, they've got this tech time thing that they're doing now, isn't it? Like show and yeah. tell where they've got to show everyone all the all the upgrades and stuff. Yeah. So maybe that is something that they'll do. And But it is something that I don't think fundamentally people are going to be able to copy. So, I mean, it seems like so long as it doesn't, cause problems for the cars behind hopefully like from, from my perspective it, it's it's going to stay because i like to see things like that rewarded mm. but of course we're saying this now and by the time this airs it's been completely outlawed and mercedes are yeah. qualifying ninth and tenth for bahrain like, so yeah and it's like it's on it's just trails of fire as the whole yeah. mercedes radiators are overheating and melting carbon fiber yeah, yeah it could be, could be everyone's it seems like everyone's convinced though that it's definitely going to be a brilliant idea yeah, I, I, I mean, how can making something infinitely smaller in a in a sport that requires you to be, you know, as fast through the air as possible? How can it possibly be a be a bad thing, provided it works? Provided it works. Yeah. So, what are you most looking forward to for the uh, for the upcoming season? And this, what excites you about this this new regulation set? Do, do you know the thing that always excites me? I'll, I'll go to the regulation set in a minute, but in fact, that's probably the way to start with the regulation set. Obviously, you're hoping that they can follow and we're hoping that we get rid of this phenomenon where once you get within two seconds you start losing effective downforce the tires go all over the place they overheat and then the Pirelli tires of the previous era once they start overheating you lose grip and then you have to just back off and then and then that's done so there's if if it gets rid of that so that at least people can get behind and and have a sustained attack i think we'll have really good racing it might be a case of careful what you wish for because they might just start breezing past each other and then you're like oh i miss when there was a bit of aero wake and it was it was a little bit different <laughs> but maybe it'll be somewhere in between I, I think most likely is that they won't have quite killed all the aero wake and it might just be a bit easier to to follow and race and, and then we'll see then we'll see uh you know we'll see people people using more driver skill and more racing skill. Um, so that that will be interesting. They're going to have to enforce racing rules much better than they did last year. And in fact, it wasn't just last year. It's been increasingly inconsistent over the last few years. I do remember them, you know, suddenly being incredibly lenient to Charles Leclerc. Just mm-hmm. very, you, know, you could see the inconsistency starting to creep in. So hopefully they've got they've got that under control. But the thing that always, always, always excites me is the teammate battles. So people say... Oh, it's boring if Hamilton's up at the front. It's boring if Vettel's up at the, the the front and dominating. But there are ten teammate battles that I, I I just love picking a horse basically for for all of those. And we recently did a show where we went through all ten teams and you know forced everyone pick a side. Who do you who not who do you think will win? Who do you want to win and and why? And I think we've got some really interesting teammate battles. I I'm, I'm really hoping that Ricardo will turn up this season on a level playing field with Lando Norris because of the regulation change and he's there and, and show himself to be a bit more Daniel Ricciardo because I think he can definitely be more of a challenge and it would be nice if I was eventually proved right with my argument that I lost to Jolian Palmer on checkered flag. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's, there's probably five drivers who took a long time to get going last season because they went into a car and it was difficult to go into a new car. So you've got Vettel, I'd really want to see Vettel just trounce Lance Stroll because that would restore the the natural order of things. Four-time world champion, billionaire kid who has only beaten Sirotkin so far, Mm. I think. Nothing against him. Seems like a nice lad. 
it looks like, I, I bet he asks politely it, when he's around your house, can I have a jam sandwich? But he's very polite, takes his shoes off. I'm sure, he's brilliant, but Vettel should be pounding him. Um, I want to see Perez a, a bit more consistent. He, he was under pressure, came into Red Bull, uh, initially a good start. They gave him a new contract, then he had like eight garbage races in a row. But there were signs, and there were signs towards the end of the season, like, ah, there'll be something here. Who else moved? Oh, um, Sonoda. Really excited to see if Sonoda can can do anything as well. So yeah, so I, that's what I want to see. I want to see those five drivers who struggled changing cars. What can they do? And 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 to validate that argument that I've been making all of last season that you can't quite judge those guys exactly the same as you normally would. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And um, I, I noticed that you've early you mentioned about about Perez and everything as well. And uh, I'd like to see where you're putting yourself behind who you're supporting for this season. Now, obviously, <laughs> I know you're uh, you're a Hamilton fan and you like Perez, but yeah, I'm, massive what, Perez fan as well. Why yeah. on earth? Why Perez? What what attracts you to Perez in regards to, as as a driver? Uh, as a driver, I think he is smart, and it's not all about. You know, he's not one of these guys who's like, I will, I will go through a blazing ball of fire and and I will crush everyone beside. No, he's a bit more measured. He treats it like a sport, um, and he treats the race as a whole entity. Uh, so you'll often see him at the beginning, really picking and choosing his battles off the line, uh, risk and reward, maybe sacrificing one stint for another stint, stuff like that. And I, I think he does play a bit of chess. Uh, I think he's a, he's a talented overall race driver and. In a previous era, I think where you didn't have so many complete drivers, I think you probably had less complete drivers on the grid 20 years ago, he, he would have shone through as someone who had like a master tactician. Um, he's probably lacking a little bit on the ultimate pace and qualifying uh, pace to, to maybe really challenge Verstappen. You don't always have to back uh, the guys who are winning. There's, I like the way he goes about things and I like the way he goes about his business. Polite, respectful young man as well. So he's he's the underdog then, the one that you, you cheer for and just hope he has his day. I, I just think, um, yeah, hope he, well, he, and he does, he does have his day. He does have his day a lot of times, you know what I mean? He's, he's won t two races with two different teams. He's scored multiple, multiple podiums. He's taken all those opportunities that Hulkenberg didn't take. And Hulkenberg is way more loved than Perez outside of Mexico. Uh, you know, the, the amount of credit people give Hulkenberg, but he's never taken those chances. Perez in midfield cars has taken them. You know, I remember him and Kamui Kobayashi suddenly just popping up on the front row of a grid. You know, uh, oh, Kobayashi, there's another legend. But they, yeah, they were both good on the tyres as well. And um, yeah, it's just a bit more of a, a thoughtful sportsman driver than, you know, just a rah-rah uh, barge boy, you know. Okay. So who do you think is going to be the, the biggest improvement and, and disappointment of, of the season based on what we've seen so far, which is not... Oh, okay. Biggest disappointment. You know who's going to... Be disappointed, Mick Schumacher fans. Yeah, <laughs> I think now, now with the with the news of Kevin Magnussen, it's uh... so Kevin Magnussen in. So Mazepin, obviously out, and and uh, showing a, a distinct lack of a grasp of reality on social media and the new foundation he's he's started. People can Google that. I don't want to give that uh, more thought than is than is absolutely necessary. But for Mick Schumacher fans, you go, ah, oh, well, you know, that's you know, it's a shame because. You, he was obviously just going to pound him again. So then you have Pietro Fittipaldi lined up, who I don't think people fancy much either. So that would have been okay. But to have Kevin Magnussen coming instead is a bit of a blow. We are going to really see now whether Mick Schumacher is a genuine talent or not. Because Kevin Magnussen, for all his faults, for all the not quite taking the opportunities, he, he's legit. 
He, mm. Him and Roman Grosjean were both, yeah, they weren't top drivers that won championships, but they were both legit talents up against each other and matched up to each other. Probably Magnus and the Little Edge and, uh, and Grosjean just with his bizarre... Grosjean moments, you know, spinning in the pit lane, hitting people from behind at Spa. Apart from those those moments where he seemed to snap out of existence for a moment, those two matched each other. And so a top driver now for Mick Schumacher, I think it's going to be too much. You know, that's my prediction. I think it's going to be too much. I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's solid. So um, improvement-wise, who do you think is going to impress us the most? Perez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so apart from those five drivers I mentioned that I'm hoping... Yeah. Yeah. That validates my my theory with yeah. those guys. Team wise, you've got you've got to hope for for Williams to take a step forward, haven't you? Yeah. And yeah. and uh, I wonder now with Williams when they were being run by Claire Williams and and Frank Williams, rest his soul, they were fiercely independent, so proud privateers. You know, we ain't no B team. When they were struggling, you have to think that a, a closer partnership with Mercedes would have actually been smart you know let yourself Toro Rosso for a bit be a um, what do you call it a vassal state for a little while and then and then overthrow the the duke or whatever they install overthrow the, the prince that they install at some point down the road perhaps Doralton the the new owners maybe they're a bit smart maybe they have got a bit of a working relationship with Mercedes and I as a complete guess I'm only looking at the very similar cooling philosophies between the two teams Williams have also gone very narrow with their bodywork and very slim. Well, is that a coincidence? Or is there some kind of, you know, it only takes a few, you know, they're not swapping shirts like allegedly was happening between Haas and Ferrari when Haas first joined. But, you know, maybe they have a closer relationship. Maybe they go to some barbecues, uh, you know, in the off-season last winter and, and you know, they go, oh, yeah, slim might be better for these regs with the old ground effect. For me, if I was if I was Doralton, I'd be getting, I'd be cozying up to Mercedes to to lift them up into the midfield. Yeah, that could be like the um, they could try and go down what Aston Martin are trying to do, where they start off getting close with Mercedes yeah, and yeah. then and try then branch out on their own. They were just coming out a few days ago saying that they they might look at doing their own engine for twenty twenty six or or you yeah. know, really kind of trying to become that constructor. So it's a long way back for Williams, but it would be great to see them fighting for podiums again. And well, what's it going to cost you if you're Williams to get more chummy with Mercedes? Oh no, you're going to get a brilliant junior driver every now and then. That's hardly a heartache, is it? They've not suffered having George Russell on board for a little while and, and keeping him cosy because he was meant to you know really they, they thought he might move on hmm. yeah no. they thought he might move on a bit earlier but you know they ended up keeping Bottas and, and having you know having Russell on board and you have to think that that kind of is indicative of a relationship if you look at the Ferrari customer teams you know with Giovinazzi being in Alfa Romeo a long time and and Haas having Mick Schumacher and, and the alleged wind tunnel and staff assistance they got when they first joined. Though those relationships exist, and if Toro Rosso and Red Bull can deploy four drivers against Lewis Hamilton on occasion, surely it's okay to, to have these vassal state teams for Mercedes as well. Ferrari have got them. If Ferrari are competitive next season, th there will be the odds, you know, or you can linger before you go on that pit stop... Um, Schumacher, you know, you don't have to get, totally get out of the way, you know, at Monaco or something like that. So, yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, well, okay, I'd, I'd love to see that. But I think it's time now to, to stick, a, stick a pin in our horse or whatever the phrase would be and, and, and decide on a, on a champion and constructive right. champions. <clears throat> who are you gunning for for the championships? Oh, yeah, boring. But I think, um, I think Mercedes are going to 
absolutely smash it. I think they are going to salt the earth and blaze a trail through the lands. I think they uh, they want to hear the lamentations of their enemies' partners and uh, see all crushed before them. I think they will have been hurt by 2021. There will be. There used to be in Mercedes, I think, a, a, an aversion to winning by too much because it looked bad. I think they felt like this responsibility when they were dominant and they would just manage the gap in the development war. Oh, we won by... I mean, we won by 10 seconds. Okay, we won't develop. Oh, they're getting a bit close. All right, let's get that front wing out that we designed ages ago and stick that on. I'm sure there was that kind of effect going on. They're not going to do that now. They don't feel any responsibility to anyone. If they come out with an advantage, I, I, I can see them I can see them just lapping the field. I, I think it was actually been uh, admitted by some people involved in Mercedes that when that new engine came out and they realised just how far ahead yeah. they were in 2014, that it, it was very, very much a case, uh, very much a case of uh, don't don't run it at more than 80. percent Yeah. You know, otherwise, they'll take the advantage away. So <laughs> yeah, there's that, and, and it will look stupid, side. and it will make the sport look stupid as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, that explains how they were able to kind of hang on because I guess if they were in the old days, Schumacher used to go and win by 10 laps, didn't he? Yeah. And yeah, so. Yeah, I don't think they'll do that this season, though. I think if they've got an advantage, I think they will stretch out and they will just lay the hammer down. Well, I think now with with the way the regulations are now, with almost the success ballast of the of the wind tunnel time and everything, it's already mm. already starting to affect the teams. If they've got a big advantage, they're going to want to keep it for as long as possible because you're going to have these other teams constantly creeping up on them with their extra resource. And it's not like they got it's not like they're going to be the most funded team anymore when you've got everyone else on the same budget and the and the infrastructure in place on these teams. I can't see them just having an absolute dominant spell like 14, 15, 16. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah not for and years. Then, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I can't see that. I, I can see it maybe for a year, but I, I, you know, if they are dominant this year, I can see next year it being a lot, a lot, lot closer. Okay, I'll make a prediction with Red Bull though. They are going to be third or below. That's basically what I've predicted as well. Oh, is it? I, I actually, okay. however, I, I, I did predict Ferrari for constructors champions. Uh, I think I believe the winter hype. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, every year, Tom. No, <laughs> come on. But this year, I actually believed it. But, okay. Uh, uh, now I've seen these new side pods. Oh, I think it's, it's possible they could be a, a distant second, and that McLaren could be up there. Just the the worrying thing is the the how overweight the Red Bull car is because they didn't get surprised with that weight limit that's as far as they've got so like I said you know I've been involved in uh, design for for weapons in defense and it goes through a lot of iterations you know you have your a prototype concept and then you have a, a B model you know and then as you get closer you're just having successive iterations until you get to a a demonstration model that you'll then demonstrate customer finally goes oh that would be good but could it um you know could it go a bit faster so put a bit more fuel in at the end weight is one of the things that comes down in iterations and it's one of the things that gets completely improved and designed through those iterations for them to turn up what was it 20 20 kilograms heavy or 15 kilograms something like that 10 15 20 something it's a lot that suggests to me that they're an iteration or two behind and that they really did not put as not change as early or put as much brain power into the 2022 car as maybe some of the other teams. Because they're obviously a talented design team, but they had to make a choice last season with the regulations changing and them being right up there. You couldn't blame them for saying, no, this is our best chance of picking up a, a title for the next few years and sacrificing 2022. And, and just on the evidence of the car, it, that's the, the weight thing is the, is the one that gets my design engineering bell ringing. Yeah, I mean, they are obviously... They're 
they're crying out, not just Red Bull, but other teams are crying out for more, you know, an, an increase in the weight limit because of the uh, because of the porpoising and uh, and and I believe that haven't they? Yeah, is it for the good five? of the sport? It'll be for yeah, the good yeah. of the sport, Tom. Yeah, I oh, know yeah. we've got to increase the weight limit for the good of the sport. It's a safety issue, is what it is. Yeah. It is a safety <laughs> issue. Yeah, yeah, but you know, Alfa Romeo have managed to design a car that's uh, that's under the weight limit. So you know, the, just take some <laughs> things off that that you know that make it go faster or run the ride height higher. Then that'll uh, get rid of the porpoising. You don't need extra weight limit for that. But hey, hey, that yeah. that's just my opinion there. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's really really enjoyed uh, hear, hearing about that. And where is it that people could find Missed Apex and uh, and anything you want to you want to plug about the show? Any any events coming up you want to talk about or? Actually, I really I came on here. I wanted to plug my beat poetry. That's the okay. thing I really. No, if I'm you want to, yeah, no, okay. I'm completely joking. <laughs> Poetry's boring and pointless, and everyone who creates or consumes and enjoys it is weird and pretending that it's fine <laughs> same with modern art tom uh missed apex podcast mistapex.net that's the link to just to find everything we do but do do come and follow me on twitter as well at spanners ready i do try and you know have a have a laugh and a chuckle on there <laughs> i thoroughly enjoyed the chat today and uh, i really enjoy listening to your podcast i think it's it, even with your success you appear to be very humble as well you're not going to be one of those people that stands in line saying don't you know who i am i shouldn't be standing in line so very honest and funny podcast and i fully recommend anyone <laughs> to uh, to have a listen to it so i just want to be clear that if i ever get like famous or like ultra successful mainstream media whatever i'm gonna you turn on that so hard i am gonna become arrogant aloof <laughs> Like you wouldn't see, you wouldn't see me just talking to just ordinary people in the street. No, I will be I'll be the epitome of privilege. I can't wait. Like I've got working class roots, but if I ever become like a millionaire, I will I will drop my working class roots so hard it'll create a hole in the ground, Tom. <laughs> Excellent. So if you've enjoyed this episode of Grit Talk, please consider supporting us on Patreon from as little as just $1. Uh, we are available on all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, Apple Music, Verbal, Omni Studio and Pocket Casts, as well as being available on the F1 Chronicle website as well. All our live review shows go out live on YouTube and straight after the event and we have a post-show section where you can ask questions in the live chat. Just search for F1 Chronicle on YouTube and don't forget to subscribe. Uh, the next time you see us, will the 2022 season will be underway and we can't wait to see you there. So I just want to say thank you very much, Spanners, for joining us today. Yep. And thank you very much and goodbye, everyone. <laughs>